Well, happy Resurrection Sunday. I hope you guys are doing well. The title of my sermon today is Easter Made It Real. Easter Made It Real. I think it's very important that in any relationship, you find a place of authenticity and realness. I've found that in most relationships in my life, my relationships do not succeed until that relationship gets real. And just to be real, I've made a lot of mistakes. Um, In ministry, in life, even as a pastor, plenty of mistakes. I will say that probably some of the biggest mistakes I've made have to do with not being real in relationships. There's been times in my life where I haven't even really been completely real in my relationship with God. I remember growing up and going to youth group and going to summer camps. And there were a lot of times when I have to be honest that my driving motivation to go to youth group was that there were going to be cute girls there. And that was it. And I just wanted to go and scope and hope and see what the Lord might open up an opportunity missionary date a little bit, you know, and, and so I, 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 I remember, I know that there were times when, when I would be worshiping God with my hands lifted high, just passionately pursuing him. In reality, I could, out of the corner of my eye, see a cute girl, and I knew she wants a godly man. <laughs> I got your godly man right here, and and, and I wasn't real in my pursuit of God. I wasn't real in my worship. All relationships tend to fall apart if they don't get real. Uh, this is the case in the relationships we have in our lives, certainly around our marriages, around raising kids. How many of you are married in the house today? How many married people? Okay. All right. And uh, how, many, how many people want to get married, but you're not married right now? I'm just trying to help the single people out. No, but they're not bold. They won't raise their hand. Some of y'all don't want to be married. The problem is you're married. And, and, so, and we've got lots of ministry here that can help you with that. But, but I do find that even in marriage, in the initial stages of that relationship, it's not real. If we're all honest, especially, you know, the dating phase, the, the courting phase of, of that relationship, it's not real because you're just trying to put your best foot forward. You're trying to present something that probably isn't a reality every day for you. I know when, when I saw Cody and, and I met her and she was beautiful and she was smart and fun and all this stuff, I, I was just so desperate to seal the deal that I just would say anything to make her feel like I was the man for her. You know, and so the truth is, Cody and I, we, we do have some similarities in our personalities, but we're very, very different in a lot of different ways. But, but in that initial phase, it was so plastic because I was just trying to convince her that we had so much in common. So I'd be like, hey, Cody, hey, I'm James. Hey, do you eat food? <laughs> Me too. Amazing. Do you breathe oxygen? <laughs> Same. Do you use a pillow at night? Oh my gosh, we have so much in common. Like we were meant to be together. Then you do learn eventually that that you are pretty different, pretty pretty opposite. We're going to talk about some of that next week. We're going to start a family series next week. We're going to be talking about all different structures of family. 
So whatever structure of family that you have, we're going to be addressing what it means to have a healthy family, a godly family, biblical. But one of the things we're going to talk about is in that initial phase, opposites attract. But over time, opposites attack. And then all of a sudden, it's like, man, the things that you thought were like so great and everything, then all of a sudden, maybe it becomes a little bit more difficult and it gets real. Because one of you is an early riser and the other is a night owl. Where are my night owl people at? Come on now. All right. We're a little sleepy this morning. Made us come to the early service. One of you is daring and impulsive and the other is cautious and reserved. One of you says, man, I play by the rules. And the other one's like, I don't even know there are rules. Like, what, what are you talking about? One of you loves to talk. And the other one just kind of grunts. What you want to do tonight? I don't know. Well. One of you spends all the money. The other one's a tightwad. One of you likes to cuddle. And the other one is a porcupine. One of you has a strong sexual desire, and the other one is stupid. <laughs> Thank God I married an intelligent woman. <laughs> Hold on now, that makes me the opposite. We're both smart. But I've noticed that we're not always authentic in how we raise our kids either. I think in some respects we, we teach our kids partial authenticity. Because, look, even as parents, when you first have a kid, your first kid, no offense to young couples that have one kid and it's just a baby, but at this point it's not real yet. Because when you have one kid, it's just a baby. It's like a really cool, fancy accessory that you get to bring around with you. Like, you know, get to dress it up in cute outfits and take lots of cool Instagram pictures and all that kind of stuff. And you got to change diapers. You lose a little sleep. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. But here's the deal. It gets real when they start talking back. That's when it gets real. But I've noticed that a lot of us as parents, we don't teach our kids all the time that we're real, that we're sincere. Like if they're doing something we don't want them to do, if you notice that there is typically a progression involved with how we try to get them to do what we want them to do. And it escalates. So they're over there doing something we don't want to do. Hey, sweetheart, don't do that, okay? And they keep doing it. Hey, I need you to stop that. Stop it. If you don't stop that, I, you, do I need to call your dad over here? Oh, it's worse. Do I need to get your mom over here? And they keep doing it. If you don't stop it right now, freaking out. But what we've just taught them, and then it's real. Then, well, then we've got their attention. But. I, 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 don't you think, though, if we can teach whales to jump through hoops at SeaWorld, we can probably get our kids to listen the first time every time, you know? But it's harder than it sounds. 
So I was at the grocery store a couple weeks ago, and I was at the, the self-checkout area because when I go to the grocery store, I don't shop. I hunt. I get my items. I get through the self-checkout, and I'm out of there. Come on. Where are my men at? We don't like spending a lot of time in the grocery store. You send us on an errand in there. Okay, we'll do it. But we go in like special forces, okay? They're there to seek and destroy. And so, so I was there, self-checkout, and, and this lady came in there with six kids. Six kids at the self-checkout. And I'm like, oh, this is going to get good. <laughs> but it, she had her hands full, guys. And I felt really bad for her. It was one of those things where I'm like, man, I don't, should I go help her or just videotape this thing? Because, <laughs> and, and I don't know that all these kids are hers or not. And I can't judge. I have four kids. But, but man, she, it was just really, really tough. And so she's there. She's trying to start scanning her items. And the grocery stores make it like hell checking out for any parents with multiple kids because they've got all those shelves there with all the easy-to-grab stuff and all the candy bars and all the bright colors and all that kind of stuff. And so this one of the kids, his name is Zach. She made that abundantly clear because she said his name 300 times. And Zach is down there just pulling stuff off the shelf, just pulling stuff off the shelf and on the ground playing with it. And so she's over there like spanking one kid and yelling at another kid and trying to keep a kid from falling out of the cart and just, you know, just chaos all around her. And every 15 seconds, she's like, Zach, put that stuff back. Zach just keeps playing. Zach, I need you to stop. Stop it. Put it back. Goes back to handling the other five and then back. So eventually she's just like, Zach, like cussing and yelling. It's just like, whoa. But Zach, stop. (laughs) Zach just starts throwing stuff back on the shelf, like all the wrong spots. But it got real. It got real. And then he listened. And I feel like what Easter is, what resurrection is, it's Jesus saying it's about to get real. I'm going to show you just how real of a relationship I want to have with you. I want to show you just how real my love is for you. I'm going to show you. What I love about the Bible is it, it's real. It shows the good, the bad, and the ugly of the people that are in it. And, and what I love about it is there's a lot of people in the Bible that messed up huge. And it encourages me because I've messed up so much. You take Moses, for instance, you know, Moses, this amazing leader, one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. In fact, it was written that he was the greatest leader that ever lived. He wrote it about himself, but, you know, it can't be, it has to be true if it's in the Bible. And he's up on on the mountain with God, in God's presence, hanging out with God, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. But you have to remember that one of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt not murder, and Moses was a murderer. He had killed an Egyptian with a knife. Well, it's getting real there because if it were me, if I was coming off the mountain, I'd be like, hey, everybody, God gave us the nine commandments. This is great. (laughs) Hey, why is one scratched out? He redacted one. I don't know what happened. I guess he changed his mind, you know. But he had to be real because he was a murderer. David. David was an amazing king warrior but he committed adultery and then tried to cover up that adultery with murder and yet God said that he was a man after his own heart that's encouraging but I'll tell you what the things that God did in them and through them couldn't happen until they got real 
And so they were sincere in who they were in God. And then there's Peter. And Peter is a character that was living around the time of this event that we're here to recognize and celebrate. One of the disciples, and I like Peter because he's got this swag about him, right? Super confident, but overly confident. He, he, he would say stuff so confidently like he was right, and he clearly was putting his foot in his mouth. Just kind of foolish sometimes, but, but, but really, really confident. And Jesus called him. In Luke 5, verse 4, it says, When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, who's Peter, Launch into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Well, then Peter, like, freaks out, like, this is amazing. Like, I will give up my career to go and see more of this. I'll give up fishing, and I'll follow you. And it says that he bowed his knee and said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. But the truth is, it wasn't real yet. Because Easter hadn't happened yet. It wasn't real. So there's some lessons I think we can learn from Easter, from the resurrection. First of all, your confidence will not work without Easter. Your confidence. Your confidence. Because for three years, so Jesus and the disciples, including Peter, they're doing ministry together for three years. So it's like live sermon illustrations every day, like just getting to watch the miracles and see everything that Jesus was doing. There there was no lack of evidence of, of who he was and that he could do anything. And so you'd think like, man, if anybody could be convinced, if it was going to be real, surely it would be real. After watching all this stuff happen, But in Matthew 26, this is the night that Jesus is betrayed. He's with the disciples, and this is what happens. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, The flock will be scattered. That was prophecy. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I will never. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, not like someday you're going to mess up, Peter. Someday you're going to, you know, him haul on whether you know me or not. No, he's saying this very night before the rooster crows, you're going to disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. So confident. And all the other disciples said the same. So you can see the confidence, but is it real? Well, let me ask you this. Who was right, Jesus or Peter? Jesus was clearly right. But you also need to know this. This message is not about Peter. This message is about you. And this message is about me. Because the truth is, it doesn't matter how confident we are. It's not real. It can't sustain us without the cross. Without who Jesus is. Easter is Jesus coming close to us so that we could clearly hear and see his love, his grace, and forgiveness in spite of our inability and our brokenness. 
That's what Jesus is trying to show him. And the truth is, we are all like Peter. We're all like Peter. Here's another survey question for you. How many of you ever gone before the Lord and said, God, I promise I will never do that again, and you did it again? Okay, well, the truth is, if we are honest, it's as high as the death rate, 100%. Because at one point or another, all of us have probably said, God, I promise, whatever it is, like, Small things and big things. God, I promise I'll never do that. And we do it again. Why? Because when we say that, we're not really leaning on the grace of God to not do it again. We're leaning on our own confidence to not do it again. And that's why we wind up doing it again. This is because your commitment to God can't be built around your own confidence or even your own definition of yourself. As long as it is, it will fall short. The song that we sang a little bit ago, Reckless Love. This reckless love. Here's some of the lyrics. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. What makes something reckless? It's when it doesn't make sense. It's when it seems senseless, dangerous. Well, I know for me, it doesn't make any sense that God would love me. It's certainly reckless. Oh, it chases me down and fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99, referring to the parable of the shepherd and the hundred sheep, and the one goes away, and the shepherd pursues the one, leaves the 99, and goes for the one because of the value of every individual. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. This is Scripture. This is Scripture. It actually says in Romans 8.38, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. But where is it found? It's in Christ Jesus. See, without the resurrection, without the cross, this verse can't be true. It's only in Christ Jesus that you have this kind of love. It's only in him. And I want to say as as sincerely and graciously, but as boldly as I possibly can, the word of God says that every tongue will confess and every knee will bow and declare that Jesus is Lord. Everyone will bow. Everyone will confess. So the people who hate God, guess what? They're going to bow. Every atheist that doesn't believe there's a God, every agnostic, every person that likes to use intellectual conversations and debates to try to prove that there is no God, they will all bow. We will all bow. The question is when? Because for so many people, it'll be too late. Because they'll wait until after they die, or they'll wait until Jesus returns. And then at that point, at the magnitude of God's glory, everybody will hit the floor. But at that point, it will be too late. And what Jesus is saying as loudly and passionately as he can through the way he lived his life, but more importantly, the way he laid his life down is, you can bow now. And if you bow now, you will have life and life to the full. You will have everything that you need. You will have the most important thing. You will have an identity in me. And that's where true confidence comes from. It's through knowing who I am. Number two, your effort will never be enough without Easter. Your effort. It doesn't matter how good you are at whatever you do, 
how well trained and skilled and professional and it doesn't matter. At one point or another, all of our efforts, all of our works, they, they, they fall short. They fall way, way short. And here's the thing. It is so great that our relationship with God is not based on our efforts. How many of you want to go to heaven someday? This is a good place to raise your hand in church. <laughs> I know I do, but here's the thing. If our faith and our relationship with God was based on works, heaven would be a drag. You know why? Because we'd get there and everybody would be talking about how great they were. It'd be like the ultimate one-upper conversation. Well, I gave millions of dollars away to the poor and needy, and well, look at me. And another person, well, I hang out, hung out with the elderly every weekend and, and, and took care of them and served them. And, and, and then another person, like, well, I went on 14 missions trips, and then I saved a cat from a tree. That's when you know it's not heaven. <laughs> Clearly. But it would be miserable Spending eternity around people who thought they got there because they did something great. Instead of basking in the grace and the mercy of who God is and understanding that they don't deserve it. And that's why it's so amazing. Our works will never sustain us. Well, three years into the ministry and Jesus is betrayed and now he's being Arrested illegally, tried illegally. Most of the disciples bolted. Peter is still kind of hanging around, but at a distance. His confidence is gone. It wasn't real. It says in Matthew 26, Now Peter was sitting in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out of the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I don't know exactly what that means, but it's like he put like his hand on the prophecies and the scrolls and raised his other hand and said, I promise to God, I don't know who this guy is. Like serious. I don't know the man. After a while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore. Now, this is not an oath. This is what we would wash our kids out, their mouths out with soap for. Like, this is cussing and cursing. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know the man immediately. A rooster crowed, then Peter remembered the word of Jesus and had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And then he went outside and wept bitterly. Can you imagine how heavy he was at this time? It's actually worse than this because in, in Luke's account, this is what it says about that moment, that last time that he denied Christ. In Luke 22, it says, Immediately, when he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And this is a courtyard of Caiaphas's house. The courtyards are not huge in that time. Uh, most of them were just 30 feet square. So this is not a huge distance. It'd be like from me to the third or fourth row or fifth row. And Jesus is there and, and understand he's already being beaten at this point. He'd been beaten with a reed. He'd been punched in the face. His eyes were probably black and blue and bruised and And as Peter is denying him, 
the rooster crows, and he catches the eye of Jesus? Whoa. That'd be pretty rough. How would it make you feel? How heavy would you be realizing that you just betrayed your best friend, but your Savior, your Messiah? Being around and and seeing the beating and the fake worship as they mock Jesus. And even after Peter was gone, I'm sure he heard about everything else that was happening. How they, how they took the crown of thorns, of two-inch thorns, and jammed it into Jesus' head. The migraine that must have been created by that. Then the scourging, the, the cat of nine tails, this, this Roman instrument of torture, where basically a whip with pieces of metal and bone that would cut and slice in to the skin, rip it away. Most theologians believe that it was probably exposing the organs through his ribcage on his back. 39 lashes because 40 lashes was considered a death penalty and they wouldn't go that far. But 39 was enough to kill most people. I'm sure Peter heard about the nails. I'm sure Peter heard about how they put the nails through Jesus' wrist, probably through his wrist, because at that point when they shook hands, they shook at the wrist, because the wrist was a part of the hands. The nails through his hands, his wrist, through his, his feet. I'm sure he heard about that. I'm sure he, he asked, like, well, what was he saying? Was he saying anything? Because he loved him. He, you would care. Like, what? What was he saying? I'm sure he heard about his last words. I'm sure he heard about how he he was speaking to the criminals that were hanging beside him and and promising one of them eternal life. I'm sure he heard about how he made John promise to take care of Mary. I'm sure he heard about him crying out in a moment of desperation, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm sure he he heard about him saying, In, into your hands I commit my soul. I'm, I'm sure he heard about him saying, like, it, it's finished. I'm sure Peter heard about the spear that was jabbed up under his ribcage and into his heart. And at this point, it wasn't, Jesus was already dead, but it was just to make sure that he was dead. But when, he, when they did it this time, something different happened because it says that blood and water commingled, which the medical world would tell you that means that What happened was his heart quit working. His heart tore. That's what he died from. And that was to fulfill prophecy that Jesus would die from a broken heart. He didn't die from the whip. He didn't die from the nails. He didn't die from the beating. He, He died of a broken heart. I'm sure Peter heard about that. And I'm sure as Peter is hearing about all these things, he is feeling responsible. He's feeling like, man, this is my fault. I could have done something. I should have done something. Peter's in a very discouraged place. You have to understand this, though. Easter can't become real to you until you know and understand and accept that you're the reason that Jesus died. He died because of you, because you needed a Savior. 
And some of you may be thinking, but I'm nothing like Peter. Like, I really will never tell somebody that I don't know Jesus. Well, maybe you never would with your words, but I bet we all have with our actions. I know I have. There's been a lot of times where I know my actions have not said, I know Jesus. It says in Titus 1.16, they claim to know God, but their actions, with their actions, they deny him. Another thing that we can learn about the resurrection is Jesus wants you up close. Jesus wants you up close. Some say and some think that Christianity is this, this private faith, this private thing that you do, and it's the opposite. It is a personal decision, but it was always meant to be very public. People need to know the hope that is in us if we're believers it should be obvious to people around us that there is a difference happening in our lives and in our souls. It was always meant to be something that was declared. But when you're discouraged, you don't know that God wants to be near you and close to you. (laughs) It's very difficult for you to have the confidence to show your faith publicly. About a week later, Peter, in this place of discouragement, he decides to give up on the call, go back to doing what he was doing before, fishing. And so Jesus resets up the same scenario to which he called Peter the first time. Peter and some of the disciples, they're out in a boat and they're fishing. They've been fishing all night, hadn't caught anything. Jesus yells from the shore, hey, if you'll throw your nets over the other side, you'll catch a bunch of fish. And they're like, we're professional fishermen. Like we know how this works. They tried it and they caught a bunch of fish. And then John the Beloved said, hey, that is Jesus. And when that happened, Peter just like, says he just, he wrapped his garment around himself and he jumped in the water and he started swimming back to shore. It reminds me of that scene out of Forrest Gump when Forrest Gump saw Lieutenant Dan up on the shore. (laughs) He's so excited, just dove off, his boat crashed. So excited that it was his friend, you know, just. Well, I'm sure though, still at that point, there might've still been a little bit of intimidation, like Jesus, you forgive me. And there's Jesus on the shore and he's cooking a fish for Peter. Because Jesus knows one of the things that draws people closer in intimacy is eating together. Hey, Peter, come here, sit, let's eat, let's, let's talk. And that whole scenario, he set that up, I think it's because he just wanted Peter to know, Peter, you can be called again. You can be called again. You messed it up, but you can be called again. And as he's sitting there, he asked Peter this question that to Peter seemed strange. And he asked the same question three times. Peter, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, every time. And the last time emphatically, my Lord, you know that I love you. And I don't think... (laughs) that Jesus needed to be convinced. But Jesus knew that Peter needed to be convinced. You really do love me, Peter. 
and you denied me three times. But now, because of Easter, because of my death, burial, and resurrection, it's real. It's real. You really do love me because you understand and you accept that it's not because of your confidence and it was never because of your works. It's because of my grace and my love. You're forgiven and you really do love me now. And then the rest of the story, Peter had real confidence at that point. And he was actually able to start doing real works that had eternal value because on the day of Pentecost, it was Peter that when people were mocking the believers, he said, no, they're not drunk or weird or crazy. They're filled with the Spirit of God. And then he began to preach the gospel and thousands of people got saved. It's the same Peter that walked so closely to the Spirit of Jesus that his very shadow would heal people as he'd walk by him. It's the same Peter that stood before the Sanhedrin, the same spiritual leaders that voted to kill Jesus and refused to deny him, refused to quit preaching, refused to quit talking about him. He's the one that said in that point, there is no other name under heaven in which we shall be saved but Jesus. Because when your relationship gets real with God, it gives you some real confidence to do some really amazing things for him. So what changed? What changed is the resurrection changed him. Jesus showed he wanted to have a real relationship. He wanted to be close to Peter. He wanted to be close to Peter. At one point, when, when before Jesus had been crucified, even after he'd been arrested, it says in Matthew 26, 58, but Peter followed him at a distance right up to the courtyard. Okay, so right before he denied him, it says that he was following him at a distance. And, and I think that there's maybe a lot of us here today that this is what our walk with Christ looks like. We just follow him at kind of at a distance. But that's not the reason for the cross. The reason for the cross is so that we could come close. And you know, as a dad, I've made so many mistakes. My kids are young and I've already blown it huge. I need the grace of God. But one of, the, one of the things that breaks my heart more than anything is when I get impatient and I yell or I scream at one of my kids and I see the look in their face. Just this look of, you're so disappointed in me. This look of, I, at that moment, maybe they're not convinced that I love them and certainly that I even like them. And I hate that. I hate that moment. And because I'm stubborn, I'm prideful, I don't always get it right, right away. It takes me some time. But one of my favorite things is when I can go and I can get on their level and I can look in their eyes and I can say, hey, I'm, daddy made a mistake and I'm sorry. I should not have talked to you that way. I shouldn't have said it that way. I shouldn't have said it with that voice. And I'm sorry. Because the most important thing to me is that my kids know that they can be close to their daddy that my kids know that no matter what they do, I will always love them, always accept them, always want them to be near to me. And what the cross is and what Easter is, it is God saying, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what somebody else has done to you, whatever secret sin that you're struggling with, whatever addiction that you have, whatever it is, I sent my son Jesus and he went low to your level to look you in the eye through the course of history and over the generations and said, 
I want to be near to you and I forgive you and I love you. That's what Easter is and it's real. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and you've never accepted that real relationship with Jesus, for whatever reason, man, maybe you've been going to church your whole life. Maybe you just go to church on Easter and Christmas and that's okay because you're here today and you have an opportunity. Maybe for you, you you are someone that you say you're a follower of Jesus, but you just kind of follow him at a distance. And maybe at one point you were close to him, but you made some decisions, something happened in your life and maybe your own sin. And it's driven you away from a place of intimacy with him and a place of condemnation and guilt and shame. Maybe you need to rededicate your life. Maybe it's time for you to jump out of the boat and swim to shore and get close to Jesus again. But whether you need to rededicate your life or you need to give your life to him for the first time today, you have to know that the reason why you're sitting here today is not because it was time to dress up a little bit nicer than you normally do. It wasn't time to go out and do something you don't normally do, but because it's Easter, you get out with your family. The reason why you're sitting here today is because God saw you and he saw you in your brokenness and he saw you in your sin and he said, I love you and you're worth everything I have and I esteem you higher than I esteem my own son and I'm willing to sacrifice him because I love you I love you and if you're here today and you're ready to surrender your life to him to accept his forgiveness and his love and everything that he did for you nobody looking around if that's you I want you to put your hand up right now across this room as soon as I see your hand you can put it down I'm not going to embarrass you or point you out if that's you I need Jesus right now yes sir anybody else yes sir thank you yes ma'am thank you guys Yes, ma'am. Yes, 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 sir. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, guys. Anybody else? Come on. Jesus was bold in his love for you. Don't let the enemy convince you that this isn't you if you know in your heart that it is. Anybody else? I need Jesus today. Thank you, sir. Got it. Thanks. Yes, got it. just trying it's not important you don't get saved because I see your hand I just want to encourage you I just want you to know that as your brother in Christ I'm getting ready to pray with you I'm believing with you and I think that that step of faith that boldness you saying that's me I think that's going to do tremendous amounts in you anybody else okay Father God I thank you for every person that just raised their hand some of them that couldn't for whatever reason it's okay you know exactly where they're at and I thank you God that right now they can make They can make a personal decision in their chair. Now, they've got to go public with this at some point. God, I thank you you're going to give them the grace and the boldness so they're going to tell somebody, even after the service, but they're going to go public through water baptism. They're going to let the world know that they're going to follow you the rest of their life. But right there in their chair, right there in your chair right now, just talk to him. Just say, God, here's my life, and I know that I'm a sinner, and I know I've made mistakes, and I can't save myself, but I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. He paid the price so I could be made whole in you. Today, I surrender my life to you as my Lord. I thank you for saving me from my sin. And I want to live for you the rest of my life. I don't want to live the way I want to live. I want to live the way the world says that I should live. I want to live according to your will, to your word, and to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Help me, God. Thank you for giving me a new life in you today. Thank you for restoring me as your son or as your daughter. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for being here. I thank you for helping us. I thank you, God, that 
You've given us your Holy Spirit and gentleness that leads us to repentance. Thank you for being here. Spirit of the living God is a great counselor and healer. God, I thank you that, that this is not just another Sunday. This is not just another Easter. That's a word that we put on it. It isn't even that. It's the resurrection of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for defeating our sin in the grave so that we could have hope, so that we could have eternal life. We thank you for it. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We had many, many people making a decision for Jesus. Let's give God some praise for that.